0: Hi everyone, this is Aniket Patel, co-host of the Pulse podcast. Today's guest is Pablo Pantaleoni, Chief Digital Officer of Lifestance. Prior to joining Lifestance, Pablo led Headspace's digital therapeutic subsidiary, Headspace Health. He also served as the parent company's Vice President of Strategy and New Ventures, leading a team focused on Headspace's global corporate strategy, technology and regulatory strategy, design research and new ventures. Prior to Headspace, Pablo served as a Senior Director of Health and Venture Design at IDEO, a leading design and innovation consultancy, where he led the healthcare portfolio and worked with startups and global corporations alike to develop digital products and services at the intersection of health and other industries, such as mobility, retail, and education. Prior to IDEO, he co-founded MedTEP a digital health startup that facilitates lasting behavioral changes by personalizing validated prevention and treatment plans. Pablo co-leads the Digital Health Next program at Stanford Biodesign since 2018, where he guides students to start their own businesses in digital health. LifeStance is a mental health care company focused on providing evidence-based, medically-driven treatment services for children, adolescents, and adults suffering from a variety of mental health issues in an outpatient care setting both in-person and through his digital health telemedicine offering. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, welcome, everyone. We are very excited to have Pablo here with us. So, Pablo, we have a tradition of asking our guests this question when we start every podcast, and that is, what did you want to be when you grew up? So, Pablo, when you were growing up in Spain, what did you want to be?
1: Yeah, look, to be honest, a um there was a family business and um, that my you know grandfather started it was in the fashion industry right small kind of stores you know where they you know sell and they they used to sell a clothes and then my father always said well one day if you're interested right you can continue with the business so to be honest that was the only path for me right but then after the crisis, the the whole thing went down and then, you know, um, I mean, I was, was unfortunate, but also, yeah, you know, it opened up a lot of, you know, different options for me, right? That, that before then it was not, it was not even in my mind. So that's a, it's funny that you asked me the question because, you know, not how many people know this, but that's, that's a reality.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And you've had a very interesting career journey You know, after that as well. You co-founded MedTap, which is a digital health startup that facilitates lasting behavioral changes by personalizing validated prevention and treatment plans. And then you went ahead and led uh, Headspace Health, which is Headspace's digital therapeutic subsidiary. And you also served as Headspace's VP of strategy and new ventures. And now obviously you are the chief digital officer at Lifestance. So, what initially sparked your interest in mental health and attacking this problem via digital health and in a virtual setting?
1: Yeah, great question. Well, um, as I said, I already shared with you, you know, part of my family, right, that was in the fashion industry, which you know I'm not extremely invested in. But the other side of my family, and I come from family of clinicians, and always, you know, I I saw what some of my family members, you know. uh, what they did and the passion for, for helping people. And that was always very intriguing for me. So when, I mean, I didn't plan for it, but when I started MedTap with, you know, my friend, uh, we started, you know, receiving all these quotes from patients, right? How would we feel was changing their lives. And from that moment on, I said, you know, that's what I want to do. I mean, I have a lot of respect, you know, for, for clinicians and I'm not a clinician. But, you know, if, if there is anything that we can do to help, you know, people uh, with, you know, both physical and especially mental health, right? I'm reinvested in, in mental health since, and unfortunately, you know, some people in my family had, you know, to deal with, with mental health issues. And I saw that, like you said, when I was at IDEO and when I was at MedTap, even if you were targeting a physical health condition, there was always a mental health component late to it, right? So that's when, you know, kind of I realized there's so much, you know, we can do to help, you know, uh, with mental health. And that became my passion. And that's that's what I'm doing today. I'm very fortunate that, that I can work in this space.
0: Yeah. Can you talk to your decision to leave Headspace and join Lifestands? You, know, you were obviously pretty high up at Headspace and that was probably a big career decision for you. So can you just walk us through, you know, what your thought process was uh prior to joining lifestands
1: Yeah, it was not an easy decision because yeah, uh, I mean I was I was working closely with the founders, you know, or the leadership team there. And definitely I saw Headspace as this unfinished, you know, journey when I started MedTab, right? And you know, Headspace of course was much, much bigger. But startup wall right growing helping so many people i was having a you know great time at headspace but there was always the challenge right when working with clinicians right making sure that whatever you design fits into their workflows then the whole business model getting reversed by payers i've always been on the you know on the other side building all these businesses and figuring out you know how to fit into clinical workflows the business model so when LifeStance reached out with this opportunity, I mean, it was the perfect fit, right? So working for the largest outpatient mental health organization, right? Working very, very closely with clinicians every single day, and you know, having all these big relationships with payers, I thought, well, I think I can, I can have a you know, kind of a big impact here, right? And and being exposed to you know, kind of a a lot of lot of work where, you know, we could we could definitely have a huge impact in people's lives. So that was very, very appealing to me. And then I met with, you know, the founders and, you know, kind of it was it felt like the right thing to do. Right. It was not easy, like I said, because, you know, Headspace was an awesome, you know, kind of part of my career, great relationships that I built there. But stance was kind of, a you know, the perfect opportunity at the perfect time to be honest.
0: And and you mentioned wanting to make a large impact. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on the overall mental health crisis and specifically on the unmet need for creating a more accessible platform for outpatient care?
1: Sure. Well, look, historically, a, um, when you were trying to, you know, uh, when you were seeking help, right, when you were dealing with mental health conditions, unfortunately, was so hard either going online or, you know, through pri- primary care or other specialists, and then going through this journey of trying to find the right clinician and then, you know, all this long wait times. And then in most cases, you find that they don't accept your insurance, right? It's mostly out of pocket. So what the founders of life did, which I think it's phenomenal, right? With the goal of making mental health more accessible and affordable right they created this awesome platform to make sure that you know in the the healthcare that we offer it's affordable and it's accessible so it's a large platform we have this big partnerships with you know most of the payers in the country and um and now the reality either if you go online or if you go through you know your a uh, primary care physician or other specialist it's pretty straightforward you know how you can get access to care through life Stance. and and we have you know awesome clinicians that that work here that you know cover a big spectrum of mental health conditions
0: let's keep talking about life Stance and what makes it truly unique and you know we can start with the providers and cl- clinicians on your platform and you know i think there's a common understanding that our relationship with our therapist is fundamentally different than any other relationship we have in our life. And the connection you feel with your therapist isn't just a nice-to-have, it's really one of the most reliable predictors of success in therapy. But we find that matching a therapist to a patient with that proper fit is difficult. So can you talk to, you know, what your novel matching algorithm is and how it works?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking this question because definitely we spend a lot of time and figuring out, you know, how we can best serve both patients and clinicians. Right? When thinking about a matching algorithm, there are always two parts, and you know, the reason why clinicians come to life stands is because it's a big platform, and they can really serve the people that you know that they want to serve through this platform. So we need to serve, you know, both sides, and then on the patient side, as you said, look, we with my team, we went through this journey of, you know trying other platforms, go out there, go through, you know, the, the matching process and interviewing also a bunch of patients, sense patients, and you know, patients from other platforms. And there was always this sentiment that it's so hard. Some people are, you know, some people are not ready, right? When they go through this journey, some are lost. They don't know exactly what they need. And for the ones who know, yeah, you know, what they need, it's a process where, like you said, it's not just about, okay, you know, I need to find a clinician that it's yeah, you know, if I want to see it, you know, the clinician in person that lives you know, close to my home, right, accepts my insurance. and, you know, can treat, you know, the the, the, men, the mental health condition that, you know, I have. But it's also again, there needs to be a connection, like you were saying. It's so important, right? And unfortunately we saw so many people that go through this first process then it's the wrong matching. And that's the sad part. They don't want to go through the same process again. Right. They are afraid of starting all over. So this is why, um, you know, when you go through the matching process life stands, I mean, we've designed a, you know, solution where definitely, you know, we try to make sure that we can connect you with, you know, the right fit, the right fit, you know, many different aspects, whatever the right fit means for you. Right. Uh, and if for whatever reason, the first matching is not the right one. That we offer you kind of a, a potential rematch uh, based on the learnings from the first match, right? So, a uh, um, and the the only way to do that is creating, you know, the algorithm, you know, and learning based on all, you know, all these interactions, interviewing users, right, and looking at the data. Uh, and look, it's not perfect, right? But
0: you know. We we keep improving the algorithm because, you know, we know it's very, very important. Can you speak to a little bit more about what the inputs into that algorithm are? Like, are you taking a survey of your potential patients? I'm assuming you're also taking in their demographic information as well as inputs into the algorithm. Can you elaborate, you know, to the extent that you can on what exactly you're assessing in your algorithm?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's demographic information for sure. You know, it's your you know information about you know kind of insurance, but also, um, some personal information. You know, based on a um, you know again, I'm not going to go into details, but whatever it's most important for you, right? That you know you really care about when speaking with somebody. Uh, it's not that we ask you a million questions because we've we've seen that. But if you want, you can provide more information. And if you provide more information, then most likely, you know, we can get you a better matching. And then, you know, as we learn through all the situations, right, for you know similar demographics, then we can suggest some matches, right? And um, so it just, it's about your journey, but also what we've learned, you know, from previous matches.
0: And during my research, and you can validate if this is true or not, I saw that you took inspiration from dating apps. In developing the smashing algorithm so one is that true and then if so what exactly what was that inspiration
1: it is true it is so because like i said when we were i i remember you know one day we were brainstorming with the team they were like you know all the platforms look similar right and and you know we don't want to build another platform that is just the same and we were you know, we were brainstorming. It's like, okay, you know, let's think about other industries. What can we learn from other industries? And somebody said, what about dating apps? And I was like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like, wow, well, when you go through dating apps, right. You're always looking for this, you know, kind of, you know, personal connection, you know, with the other person without providing a bunch of other information. And it has to be, you know, quick, seamless, right. Uh, and yes, so we looked at dating apps. It's like what we can learn, you know, from uh, from, from the apps. And I'm not saying we just build, you know, dating app for, for mental health. That's that's not what we did. But definitely, you know, there was some inspiration on, you know, some ex- aspects, you know, when designing the solution.
0: Awesome. And I guess similar to dating, you know, maybe it starts out virtually, but eventually you want to meet in person. And I think this hybrid approach that... LifeSense has is pretty unique where you provide both virtual therapy, but also the option to meet in person on a regular cadence. Why is this so effective in combating mental health beyond just convenience? Look,
1: most people think that, especially after COVID, right, way more convenient to speak with somebody virtually. And it is certainly, right? If if you want to, and depends on where you are in the journey, right? Yeah. it's great that we can offer this as an option but at the same time you will be surprised that most people they don't pick you know either virtual or in person most people they like to jump from one channel to the other meaning you know there are some people that for their you know first visit they prefer to see somebody in person they are looking for this connection right and after that once you know they feel more comfortable they can jump into online. Or there are other people, you know, that they just want to do, you know, only online. But then at some point, right, when you really want to, I don't know. Again, it's, it's it's very very different journeys. But some people at some point they really need to see somebody in person. And then having the option to see somebody in person, I think that's you know what is unique about our model, right? It's just not black or white. It's is the in between and the option to jump from one channel to the other which we've seen that leads to, you know, people being kind of more engaged and, you know, and, and offering people more options.
0: Mm-hmm. So are most of your users purely virtual or purely in person or a combination of both? Like where does your user base stands in terms of like meeting or in terms of preferences? We
1: usually don't talk about users per se. What we talk it's, you know, over 70% of our visits are delivered virtually. Um, and, and because, like I said, there are a lot of people that jump from one channel to the other, right? It's not just you know only virtual or only in person, and like I said, this doesn't mean that seventy percent of our you know users only go through online. it means that from all the visits, right, over seventy percent are virtual
0: I see and then I guess on a more of a high level, do you see one medium being more effective or is it really just the continuity of care that makes the biggest difference and not necessarily the setting through which the therapy is delivered
1: yeah I mean I, I definitely think it's a continuity of care but definitely a um, again I'm not gonna say that one is more effective than than the other uh, I'll let you know our clinicians answer that depends on you know kind of uh, what condition are we treating right and depends on where you are in the journey it may be more effective to be in person, you know, but not not necessary. So, hey, um, in general, just a continuity of care, right? And and giving you kind of the option to choose online and and in person. It's like I said, what eventually drives you know, kind of a, a higher engagement.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Let's circle back to something you mentioned earlier, which was insurance, and I think this is something really unique to LifeStands where you know most mental health providers cannot accept insurance but everyone on Lifestance platform does accept insurance so can you quickly explain why most therapists don't accept insurance and how Lifestance was able to circumvent this issue yeah
1: like I said when when we started in 2017 the market was very very fragmented right And, and it's hard to negotiate you know with all the different payers and if you're not kind of a big platform. There are a lot of, you know, solo practitioners or small practices out there. As we started growing, you know, both through acquisitions and organically, uh, we were negotiating all this, you know, contracts with with big national payers. And that was the intention since they won, right? Uh make mental health, you know, accessible and affordable through all these partnerships with with payers. Uh, so it goes back to it's way harder to negotiate for for both parties, right? For the small practices and for payers, and, but as you become a kind of a large player and offering all you know the, the mental health conditions that we cover, plus, the, like I said, you know, so many states and, and and the number of clinicians that we have, I think that's what it's you know kind of interesting for all these payers.
0: And then speaking of the clinicians. When we talk about mental health it's becoming more and more known that these you know issues don't exist in a vacuum or exist in a silo and they're often comorbid with other issues and we see a lot of just complex mental health issues do you have clinicians who are kind of specialized to tackle these different types of complex issues with like multiple approaches to therapy
1: yeah that's a that's a great question because uh, we actually do, and that's the that's the beauty of our model, right? And we have over six thousand clinicians, and they're clinicians that are very specialized, right? And and they want to treat you know, specific mental health conditions, and, and that's going back to matching and you know helping both clinicians and patients. That's how we can help both, and um, and at the same time, we have a bunch of clinicians that can cover up. Uh, big, you know, by a diverse set of, of mental health conditions, and, and they're comfortable, you know, kind of flexing into into different conditions. And I think most of our clinicians do, but based on either their personal interest or specialization, they're, you know, very, very, some are specialized and they want to serve a specific population. And with our platform, they can.
0: You mentioned the number of over 6,000 clinicians. And I'm sure that wasn't always the case. Like, what were some of the problems you faced when you were trying to scale? Because one of the biggest issues I think we see in the space today is that there's a shortage of providers and an increasing demand, among other challenges as well. So like, how do you continue to ensure quality while also growing?
1: Well, that's a really good question. Look, this is, um, I think one of the things that since day one, we've designed, you know, with a you know very carefully it's our you know kind of recruiting arm where you know we have a you know very very rigorous process right on how we select our our clinicians right very thoughtful not rigorous very thoughtful process sorry and yes what you just described it's correct there is a shortage of clinicians and you know the the biggest the biggest problem we're trying to solve is unfortunately i wish we could help everybody, you know, suffering from a mental health conditions. The, the reality is, you know, there is a gap between, you know, supply and demand. And that's where we are trying to we're trying to help there by creating this you know, platform where we empower clinicians, right, and empower them with with the right tools and processes so they can just focus on delivering care. And a lot of clinicians are attracted by by our platform. But what is also unique about LifeStance, right, is the clinicians are, you know, hundred percent part of the the platform, right? So, in other other platforms, right, they just they may spend a couple hours, you know, this platform more or the other, right? We give a lot of flexibility, but you know, most clinicians are are very invested in in, in the sense platform.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And one of the outcomes of this supplying them in, you know, inequality, is also clinician burnout. Has LifeSense done anything to alleviate some of the burnout that we see in the clinician population?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely we've seen this, especially after COVID. So, um, like I said, we just try to help clinicians and, uh, you know, however we can from many different angles. So, one, offering the, the right support, the right benefits, and we have peer groups, but on top of this, you know, from a technology standpoint, that's uh, that's my area. We're trying to you know help them with tools, and you know, also they can just focus on what they really want to do, which is help patients versus you know having to deal with the most you know tedious tasks. So that's, I mean, like I said, it's a whole platform, and we're trying to help clinicians, however we can, from many different angles, technology being one of them.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great segue into AI. And, you know, there's been a lot of noise in the gen AI space and just a lot of excitement in AI, more broadly speaking. So I guess my question is, you know, what is AI's role in the mental health space? Not necessarily like lifestyle specifically, just more broadly.
1: I've been working you know, in the space with AI, you know, for, for a few years now. Definitely now it's a very special time. And, um, And I think we can leverage AI in many different ways. And some people are thinking about, you know, very exciting, you know, areas. And to be honest, you know, there are areas that maybe are not so appealing or so obvious and can have a huge impact. One specific area, just to, you know, share one example is clinician documentation, right? So if we can help, you know, clinicians. With all the notes and that that helps a lot because then they can spend more time as i said right delivering care versus you know spending time you know in the hr documenting the session so this is just one area there are many many others um, but yeah i'm very excited you know definitely now there are so many opportunities
0: yeah and and i think one of the really exciting opportunities is gen ai space that we talked about what are your thoughts on you know having a fully AI-driven therapist? Because we see things with ChatGPT and Character AI where a user can have like a full-on conversation with a chatbot. Do you think we'll, we'll ever get to a point where some of these AI tools can be as effective as a real therapist? Yeah, I'm going to give you my personal opinion, okay? <laughs> my personal opinion is we
1: will always need a human. Right. So I think the magic happens where we can, you know, empower clinicians. Right. And and definitely, I mean, super excited about what we can do with Gen AI for part of the journey. But at some point, I don't think we can ever completely substitute a, you know, kind of a clinician. It's just a compliment. It's a good, you know, kind of the co-pilot concept. That's how I'm thinking about it. It's not just 100 percent Gen AI to help you with your mental health. I don't know. Maybe. My personal opinion is it's hard for me to to imagine. You know, at least in the in the short term.
0: Yeah. I, I imagine a lot of users would also be hesitant to using a therapist that isn't human. <laughs> and I imagine there'll be some, you know, some barriers in that sense as well. You know, a- another way AI has been kind of used in the healthcare space is to address social determinants of health. So I guess, you know. You know how are you serving those who are typically underserved and ignored by the health system like are you leveraging ai and some of these technologies or are you doing anything else of address some of these social determinants
1: yeah it's one of the biggest challenges right in healthcare and i don't think well so far i don't I think there is a magic solution out there we definitely you know are trying to help you know this population with the tools we have AI, it's definitely one of the, you know, tools we can leverage, uh, but but are many others. And like you said, we're always trying to look at uh, how, how we can support, because we're definitely you know, invested in, in trying to help this specific population. But again, there, there is there is no magic solution, to to be honest.
0: In your opinion, what are the major barriers to implementing AI? On a more broader scale
1: well there are a few right so uh, one is adoption to technology you know for the specific population also you know the data sets you know that that are out there um uh, so those are you know two specific ones but also again I'm, I'm a huge fan of thinking about whatever it's ai or other technologies we just want to make sure that it's the right technology for the right you know population Within the right, you know, kind of framework, workflow, however you want to, you know, you want to call it. So this is why, yeah, for this specific population, you know, there are some, some, you know, challenges that, you know, I I just share a couple of examples, right? But, but but there, there are others. And we just want to make sure that whenever we design solutions, especially using AI, that we truly understand, you know, how we can best support all these people and how they use technology on a daily basis.
0: And then are you able to speak to on a high level some of I guess some of the exciting technological advances that LifeSense has in the pipeline? Yeah. Look, the we definitely have a, um, you know, some products that
1: that we're building. Some are, you know, we build, you know, products for both consumers and also for for clinicians, like they said, and a bunch of the the tools, and we we offer solutions to to other teams at at LifeScience. So uh, some of the exciting uh, projects that we're working on are for clinicians, you know, or other groups. But one area that I'm excited about is how we can empower clinicians and patients with with more data, right, and, and deliver more insights at the right time. I mean, this is it's a long journey, right, you know, and as, you know, we learn as, as we go, but this is one area that, that I'm very excited about.
0: Awesome. So what is your biggest aspiration for Life Dance moving forward? Like, do you want to penetrate some of these populations that have never had this type of service that, you know, so desperately needed? Is it kind of like you mentioned to advance on the technological front to address a lot of these unmet needs or, you know, is it something else? Yeah. Look, the, the biggest
1: one, for sure, it's just to help all the people that are struggling with mental health conditions and and today, you know. And unfortunately, we we don't because of uh, like like we were talking. Right. There, there are more people struggling with with mental health conditions that people that can you know help to treat with mental health conditions. So whatever whatever we can do. And, you know, one area, it's with technology, like I was saying, right, if we can empower clinicians more so they focus, you know, they can focus more on, you know, delivering care versus doing other things. This is one area that, you know, I'm excited about and, you know, maybe I'm a little bit naive, but I think that's how we can help a little bit. And when when we think about this gap, Uh, but yeah, my, my goal, my personal goal is to help all these people that are suffering from mental health conditions, however, we can. That's that's the biggest aspiration for sure,
0: and that's amazing. And I think you know one of the coolest things on your you know long and esteemed resume is that you lead the digital health next program at Stanford BioDesign, where you guide students on starting their own businesses in digital health. So do you have any advice for our listeners who may be looking to launch their own companies in this area?
1: Yeah. Uh, look, I'm very, very passionate about, you know, building new products and new businesses in healthcare. There are so many opportunities, mental health, but also, in, you know, in, in other areas. And this is why, um, you know, I, I work you know, at Stanford with teams and trying to help them and also out of, of Stanford. And I always say the same thing. I'm a huge fan. You know human centered design and really and understand people's needs before you start designing any solutions so my my advice will be spend a lot of time talking with you know potential users and also also users from other industries right like we did with the the dating apps which may sound you know a little bit kind of a creative but that's that's where real innovation happens, right? Where you can think beyond your user population and other industries, and at the same time, look, I've made this mistake so many times. Even if you do all the things right up front and you have all the right insights, you talk to many people, you have all the right data, you start executing, right? And it's so easy to lose track of, you know, what is the North Star, you know? What, how, why you started building the solution, you know? When when you started, I, I always encourage people to you know always point back to the north star and just do a bunch of check-ins, you know, as as you continue build building your product and your business. Like, okay, are we really? And it's look, it's fine to evolve and and pivoting. I think I'm fully supportive of that, but it's always very important to make sure that, you know, you're solving a real need. That's the that's bottom line.
0: No, that's amazing. And thank you for that advice. You know, I think one of the biggest hesitations for a lot of students going into this space, particularly, you know, in the past few years is that it seems like it's becoming overcrowded. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, smaller startups in the space. Uh, and it could be because of COVID. You know, a few years ago, there was so much money being pumped. By VC into this space to, you know, develop a lot of these companies and a lot of that money has dried out. What do you have to say for students who are interested, but are afraid because of this space being overcrowded? Or do you see this overcrowding as a good thing and as a means to drive innovation?
1: Yeah, there are many different players out there. Uh, and the fact that you've raised, you know, money in the past doesn't mean that, you know, you have a, a great business, you have a great potential business, right, in some cases. And you know, then if you're early on in the journey, I mean, I'm not talking about more established players, of course, I think what really matters. Again, I don't want to I don't I don't want to repeat what I just said, but is that you're solving a real problem that you're not just, you know, kind of onboarding people into your platform, you know, and then you're not helping, you know, these people. So that's the most important part i'm a huge believer that if you're solving a real problem if you're adding value you know to your users right then you know you're gonna have a great business at some point i i mean we all know healthcare is slow right and you know there's a challenging business model in some cases but you're gonna end up with good business if you're solving a real problem
0: that's amazing and I think that's a great place to end. So, you know, thank you Pablo for your time and insights. You know, we're all very excited for life stance and also the future of digital health in the mental health space. So, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity.